There we go. We're starting a new series this summer. We're in the book of Psalms. We're thankful for our media team, creative team. And Psalms are actually, it's the largest book in the Bible, 66 books, 150 Psalms. Uh, it doesn't mean we'll have the longest sermons ever in the history of grace, but we are going through the book of Psalms, and they are prayers, and they are songs, and they are about getting close with God. The author of the Psalms and the entire scripture is the Holy Spirit. The human instrument is David, and David writes these Psalms. He's very relatable because David's messed up. He's made a lot of bad decisions, and he's often drifted from God, and he knows what that's like and feels like, and then also how to return to God. David is very vulnerable, and it might even make you a little uncomfortable at times if you're used to just playing everything safe relationally, and you don't really share much that's honest in your relationships. David is going to go there, and he's going to go there often. What you appreciate about David is he's a lifelong learner, and we all want to be lifelong learners, and David is hungry to seek God. He's hungry for God's presence. He knows he needs God's peace. He knows the renewal of his mind needs God's perspective. And wouldn't it be great if the story of our summer was not just, oh, we did this, we went there, and we had this meal, but the story of our summer, this summer, would be God's presence, God's peace, God's power, that we would come hungry. Spiritual refreshment for me has often come in the Bible and through the book of Psalms. And let's journey together with David. Let's be hungry for God together. And even repentance brings refreshment. So we're here to seek God. That's why our church exists, to walk closely with God. And we're hungry for God together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you how you communicate with us. And we're here to say that we bless you. We praise you. We're so grateful for you. And God, sometimes we get stuck in prayer. We don't know what to pray. Sometimes we get distracted and we stop praising you and we stop being grateful. And God, sometimes we just feel like, who are we to come into your presence? And who are we? But because of your grace and patience, God, our prayer is that you would show us your glory. And we pray like Moses prayed, God, hungry for you, show us your glory. We've come to meet with you, God, and to hear from you and to make the shifts in our lives to make room for your presence. And we pray in your name, Lord, amen. The Psalms highlight that we have a relationship with the living God. This is not dead religion. If you're looking for dead religion, you're really in the wrong place uh, because we have no interest in dead religion. David knew what dead religion feels like, and he was tired of that as well. At the core of every relationship, including a relationship with God, is trust. At the core of all of your relationships, it's trust. Relationships go, don't go deeper than the level of trust. And David is someone who's learning how to trust God. Let's journey together in how to trust God during every season of our life, every situation. What does it look like for you to trust God today? Every age, every stage of life, learning how to trust God. You don't trust God unless you know who God is. And the Psalms focus on who God is, what he's done, and what he can do in our lives. And we want to enter into that position of worship and trust as well. We live in a culture where there's a lot of idolatry. That was the context for David. There was a lot of idolatry in the land and a lot of apostasy. Well, what does that mean? It means that instead of trusting God, you try to remove God or find some substitute in your life for God. That's idolatry, that's apostasy, and it was abounding in the land, as David wrote this. 
There's also empty religion in the land. What's empty religion? Empty religion can be superstitious. Empty religion is checking boxes, going through the motions, looking religious on the outside, but not really having the power and presence of God on the inside. And there was a lot of empty religion at that time. And David was just, he knew that doesn't satisfy. Maybe you've had a taste of some disappointing empty religion and you're looking for something more. Well, they can't and we can't put God in this tidy little package because an empty dead religion, it ends up humans trying to control everything, tell God who he is and what he's gonna do and make everything really tidy and controlled by our authority. But that's not who God is. We walk by trust and faith, which means that this is supernatural. This is God's presence. This is dynamic There's clarity, there's also mystery. We don't lead, when we lead, we mess it up, so we wanna follow God and let God be God. And that was the cry of David's heart. That's who we wanna be as we follow God. Psalm 16, Martin Luther calls it a golden jewel. When you find Psalm 16, you found a golden jewel. It is a messianic psalm, which means that it's directing people to Jesus, the savior who would come hundreds of years later. All of scripture describes Jesus. And then there are some specific passages that really lay out who he is. And Psalm 16 is one of those passages. As we focus today on who God is, God is our refuge, God is our provider, God is our counselor, and God is our comforter. God is our refuge, God is our provider, God is our counselor, and God is our comforter. We start with God is our refuge. He's our refuge who offers security and peace when we feel overwhelmed. Have you felt overwhelmed lately? (laughs) Emotionally, relationally, have you felt overwhelmed financially lately? God is our refuge. David starts in verse one, keep me safe, O God, for in you I take refuge. In you, God, we take refuge. This word refuge means a fortress. It also includes when you think of a bodyguard who's there protecting and the security and strength of a bodyguard. It also includes a shepherd who's gonna protect the sheep. A shepherd would lay down his life to protect his sheep. And the reality is there are threats and there's evil in this world and we need a refuge. We need God's protection. I grew up in the Midwest where there would be fierce storms in the winter and really all seasons. And there were tornadoes. And I remember hearing sirens when there's a tornado in the area and it poses a serious threat. And when you hear those sirens, if you're at school, you know where to go. And at home, we knew, I lived in an apartment building, we knew to go to the basement when you hear the tornado sirens. There was a designated place when the storms came. The storms come in your life, you have a designated place. Go to God. God is your designated place. The storms will come. You won't be able to stop them. They're not polite. They don't ask if they can come. They don't knock first. The storms come, and when you feel overwhelmed, you know where to go. God is your refuge. The other option is to just be in denial and say, oh, there's no storms as everyone can hear the thunder and see the lightning and feel the rain, you say, oh, there's no storm here and no one's fooled. Or you just get 
falsely self-sufficient and say, well, I'm just gonna be tougher than the storm. Well, there's storms that are gonna come that are bigger than you, and you can't just white knuckle these storms. Or you might think, I'm gonna run to friends. They'll be my refuge. And yes, go to friends. That should be a place where there's a lot of love and care. But people can only do so much. People have limits, and your friends can only do so much. You say, well, I'm just gonna run to pleasures and immerse myself in entertainment and try to numb it that way. That won't bring the healing you truly desire. Well, then I'm gonna run to sin and keep going back to the same vices again. Those vices won't bring you life and hope that you want. They won't bring the healing that you desire. God is our refuge. Today, we wanna drop the other areas of refuge in our life. We wanna come to God who is sufficient and strong and compassionate. We wanna go to his presence. David used the name El for God, the almighty, omnipotent God, the almighty, all-powerful God, God who is powerful in my weakness, God who cares about me, knows when my dashboard says I'm emotionally empty and I'm physically worn out and I'm spiritually kind of dry and I just feel weak and I can't save myself, that God who is mighty in my weakness, that's the one I'm gonna call to. And David was writing as someone who knew about storms. They didn't come once or twice, they just kept coming. Do you feel like that in life sometimes? And David had storms where sometimes his family yeah, they weren't too impressed by him. They kind of looked down upon him. A lot of siblings, anyone here? And uh, you really just didn't get their respect as often as you should have. Well, even the prophet Samuel, he overlooked David and he's someone who's listening to God. He underestimated David. David was underestimated all the time. And then David had surprising attacks against him. There was the King Saul. David would be the next king after Saul. Saul was threatened by David and tried to kill him multiple times. The king Saul, he sent out his army to kill David. David was on the run. He would go from cave to cave. He just wanted to survive the onslaught of the army that he couldn't stand up against. David had the Philistines who were constantly trying to wipe him out. It was battle after battle after battle. And when Goliath showed up and everyone else was scared, David said, no, I'm gonna trust God in the middle of this battle because God's brought me through so many with lions and bears. And David knew that God was greater than Goliath. David had challenges within his own family. You think, well, now he's the king. Now there's blessings in the land. Now his son, Absalom, wants to rise up and be the next king. He wants to drive David out of the way. And the whole army goes to kill David. Can you imagine having your own family trying to kill you? This is the stuff that he went through. His nation that said they loved him would turn against him. His own leaders in 1 Samuel 30 picked up stones to kill him. When you do life with people and you've been through battles with people and you think they're right there for you and now they wanna kill you, David knows that too. David's been through a few things and maybe you feel the same way that the storms have just come from every direction more than I wanted. Where am I gonna turn? Where's my refuge? And David learned to have confidence in God. Through those storms, David learned to believe God. David learned to stand firm in his faith. And when there's danger, God is the one who delivers over and over. David has a story because every time a threat comes, an attack comes, he seeks God, 
God does something and shows up in power and then David gives glory to God. May that be the rhythm and story of our lives. Every time someone or something came up against me and the devil tried to steal, kill, and destroy, I went to my refuge and my refuge showed up and I've got a story to tell about what God's done to preserve my life. As we go through the Psalms, I encourage you, this might be a new habit for some of you, but to meditate, meditate on scripture. For in you, I take refuge. Just let that sink in. In you, I will take refuge. Taking refuge and trusting God is a theme throughout the Psalms. Psalm 46, one, God is our refuge, strength, and ever-present help in trouble. You meditate, And it leads to memorizing scripture. And you start to declare that during the day. God is my refuge, strength, and ever-present help in trouble. The storm comes, what do you say? God is my refuge, strength, and ever-present help in trouble. What do you do during the day in your mind, between your ears? You're starting to meditate on God's word. For in you, I take refuge. For in you, I take refuge. God is my refuge, strength, and ever-present help in trouble. Joshua was gonna take some new victories for the Lord. And you know what God told Joshua? Meditate on my word day and night. That's gonna be the key to you walking by faith into these new situations and new victories. You need to meditate on my word day and night, not just one hour. You need to meditate, you need to memorize, you need to declare, let the word of God dwell in you, let it build you up. And that might be a new habit for you during the Psalms, pick some verses and start to meditate on scripture. Not an empty meditation where I just think about nothing. No, think about God. Think about the word. Let that truth and love sink in. Let it sink into your soul. And then step by faith with courage into these new victories that God has for you. Because you have a refuge and your mind needs to meditate on scripture. You know who to turn to. You know who's trustworthy. You know who's mighty. And that conviction runs deep. God is our refuge. God is also our provider. He's my provider who gives joy and grace when I feel empty. In verse two, I said to the Lord, you are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. As for the saints who are in the land, they are the glorious ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those will increase who run after other gods. I will not pour out their libations of blood or take up their names on my lips. Lord, you have assigned me my portion and my cup. You have made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. God is our provider. He gives grace and joy that's greater than our sin and rebellion and challenges. And David wrote this at a time where there were so many false gods in the land. He's acknowledging on some level during these verses that there's idolatry in the land. Matthew Henry explains it this way. When you multiply gods, you multiply grief. Instead of the one true God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, when you start to multiply gods and bring in all these false gods, you will multiply grief. Idolatry will lead to the deterioration of a nation. It's throughout history. It's with Israel. You see it in the Bible, different kingdoms that rise and then fall. And it's true in our country. 
For the Israelites, when their hearts got moved to idolatry, when they chose other gods, everything else started to crumble. When there's theological confusion, it'll lead to moral corruption. And the same is true for our land today. If we start to flirt with other gods and bring in all these other gods and tell the one true God, oh yeah, we get a bunch of gods, it's cool. How is it if you're married and then your spouse starts to bring in all these other people they're sleeping with and says, oh, it's cool, we're married, but it's cool. Oh, no, it's not. It's not cool. We had a covenant, and we have a covenant with God. We can't be flirting around with false gods and humanistic gods and bogus gods and money gods, and you can't play around like that because this is the one true God, and we have a covenant with God, and they were messing up in the land, and we don't want to make the same mistakes in our land. It's the crime of idolatry. Sometimes it's naive. Sometimes it's ignorant. Sometimes it's desperate, but it's always foolish. It's always foolish to turn against your maker and creator. And with idolatry, there's destruction. There's guilt, there's shame. It's an illusion, it's full of lies. And during that time, when they worship these false gods, they would even bring human sacrifice. They would kill their kids. Idolatry, it's violent, it's deceptive. When you have false gods, you don't treat kids right. And they would even kill their kids because that's what happened. It's idolatry, human sacrifice. David here says, and he's got to refer to it because he's being real, but he also says, I'm not even gonna mention their names. I know the names of the false gods in the land at that time. I'm, I'm not even gonna say their names. I don't even wanna give them an ounce of honor. I don't even wanna give them any more attention. I don't wanna give one false god a minute. I, I don't wanna give them any specifics. I, I'm just gonna talk about idolatry. Well, that's been true for every nation and generation, the temptation for idolatry. And it's been different gods, it's different labels, it's the same bottle. And when you think about Moses seeking God, hungry for God, 40 days and 40 nights, comes down from the mountain, and what does he hear? The sound of this idol worship, a golden calf. Wherever there's idolatry, there's excuses. Wherever there's idolatry, there's lies and rationalization. Well, what did they say? Well, we put together our jewelry and we put it in the fire and then just out popped this golden calf. <laughs> no one's buying that business. You see, when you're in idolatry, uh, lies start to feel like truth. And pretty soon they're all worshiping this golden calf. And Moses says, no more idolatry. A nation needs to repent of idolatry for the spiritual refreshment to come in. And repentance is 180 degrees. It's a turn. It's when you humbly admit and you're driving, I'm going the wrong direction. We got to turn around. And, and when a nation does that and returns from sin to the savior, the healing comes, the restoration comes. That's the repentance that we need today. And this golden calf, Moses said, no more idolatry, smash that golden calf, put it into a powder and then drink it. This, this, this is like a, a parent that's seen too much rebellion right here, Moses. And, and what do they do? They, they drink this. You will always drink. If you have idols, you will drink the, and you will reap what you sow. And they drink this powder, this idol powder. And as they drink that, David here is referring to a cup. You will either drink a cup of God's wrath or a cup of God's blessings. You will either rebel against God, be opposed to God with a hard heart, and there's a cup, and you store up, a nation stores up for itself wrath, and it's a cup of wrath, or there's a cup of blessings and salvation. I don't wanna store up any wrath 
I don't want any part of that. I want the cup of God's blessings. Our cup will overflow in God's presence. When we honor God and draw near to God, God pours out his blessings and we wanna receive God's blessings. Jeremiah described it this way in his generation. In chapter two, verse 13, my people have committed two sins. The first one, they have forsaken me, the spring of living water. Why would we ever forsake living water? The second, and it flows out of it, they've dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. God, we don't want your living water anymore because we can make better cisterns and we build our cisterns, but they're broken cisterns and they can't hold water. So we sin twice, first by drifting away from God and wandering away from God. And then everything we create to try to satisfy ourselves, but that creation is broken And it happened then and it happens today. Spurgeon says it this way, people run after what is false. Then how come God's people move like snails towards what is true? People are running after sin. How come we're moving like snails towards the Savior? People are talking about their sin so loud. Why are we so quiet about the Savior? How is it that so many people are sprinting the wrong direction? We know the Savior. We know the right direction. And we're like snails moving down that path. Well, we forget our identity. Who are we? Who has God called us to be? God makes it clear in Scripture. This is from Exodus chapter 19. You will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites, a kingdom of priests. When you put your trust in Jesus, you're already a priest. You don't have to go learn that or take a bunch of classes to achieve that. That's who you are. Well, what do priests do? Priests draw near to God. They seek God. What else do priests do? They come alongside of people. They help people return to God. They help people get reconciled with God. They pray for people. They love people. They build relationships. And as they're walking with God and loving people, God moves in the land. You see, that's already your identity. You don't have to come up with some new identity. That's who you already are. So then your lifestyle matches your identity. You know what doesn't feel good is when you have an identity from God and then your lifestyle doesn't really look like that identity. See, you wanna be secure in your identity, receive what God's given to you, and then walk and live in that calling. Kingdom of priests, that's who you are. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil All the strongholds, the footholds, the lies, the deception. Today, in Jesus' name, things are breaking in this room. In Jesus' name. Because he continues to set people free from the work of the devil. Don't be deceived anymore. The devil wants to blind your eyes. The devil wants to fill your mind with half-truths. Don't be deceived. Start to see God clearly. Start to see people the way God sees people. Start to love and serve people the way God wants us to. And, and then a breakup. You know, uh, you maybe had a painful breakup in your past, like a boyfriend or girlfriend that you thought you would marry, but then it didn't work out and it was pain. A lot of pain. There's a lot of heartbreak and heartache with a breakup. But there's a different breakup right here. God is telling his people to break up with sin. Break up with sin. 
because sin doesn't bring out the best in you. Sin doesn't treat you right. You don't need to hold on to secret sins. You don't need to go back to those same sins. You don't need to crawl down into the darkness where no one's looking. No, you can break up today. Today, just break up with some of the sins you came in with. Just say, I'm not going back to complaining. I'm not going back to self-righteousness. I'm not going back to hatred. I'm not going back to gossip. I'm not going back. I'm breaking up today. That's repentance. I'm getting distance from the sin in my life. We turn to Jesus and we receive uh, a portion. David talks about the portion. A portion is if you've gone over to someone's house and you didn't even ask, like, what are they making? They just laid it out and you've got stuff on your plate. You've got a whole portion there. You're receiving it. Well, God lays out a portion for us to receive and it's his joy and it's his peace. And David, you know, for the Israelites, there was the tangible, physical blessing of the promised land that you see throughout the Old Testament talking about the promised land. Now, one of the ways God blesses us is physically. And it is a great blessing if God's given you clothes or a car or a home. Uh, if God's given you uh, those physical, maybe in your bank account, there's some money there. Maybe in your retirement, there's some money. God blesses you physically in many different tangible ways. But I think we know that physical blessings are not the most important or greatest blessings that God gives. I think we know that money can't buy friends. I think we know money can't buy peace. I think we know even if we have the best house in the neighborhood and the three nicest cars, that's not gonna do much for our souls. I think we know that physical blessings only go so far. Well, what other kind of blessings are there? In addition to physical, there's internal blessings where you have peace in your mind, in your heart. That's a strong blessing, an internal blessing that your character is changing and you're becoming more like Jesus. There's eternal blessings. There's relational blessings. There are blessings that are never gonna end. There are the blessings we have on this earth right now, they pale in comparison to what God is gonna provide eternally. Your greatest blessings right now, your greatest blessings right now pale. They pale in comparison to what we're gonna inherit. This is our provider. He cares about us. He loves us. And we seek God first. When you seek God first, these other things will be added. Our refuge, our provider, and then our counselor who teaches us and guides us when life is complicated. Look at verse seven. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Life can get complicated. Relationships can be complex. It sounds so simple to say, oh, grandkids, parents, kids, everyone get together, family reunion, family time, like sit around the table together. It'll just be awesome. It sounds so simple, right? Well, you notice things get kind of complicated. We have four teenagers right now. I thank God that we have four teenagers in our home. It's a blessing. It's a great blessing. Life is much more complicated than when they were in preschool. It, it just is. Now, preschool is demanding. I don't miss changing diapers, right? I don't miss uh, sleepless nights. Like, there's a lot of things in preschool that are physically very demanding. You know, you're relying on God in that stage 100%. As they get older, now there's all different situations and some of them 
carry price tags that are much bigger. And now it's not just physical, but there's thinking through things and talking and how do you empower and when do you step in and when do you give distance, when do you listen, when do you talk? Like, it's just much more complicated. And as parents, we're just like, God, please help us to, to lead this season well. You don't have to like act extra spiritual. Like I never think life's complicated. I'm just someone who has all the answers. I mean, I read the books. I have all the answers. I got figured out. You can have three PhDs and you won't have all the answers. You can go to seminary for uh, four years and then you can go back for four more. You won't have all the answers. Why? Because we need God's wisdom. We need God's counsel. What doesn't change in your walk with God is every day you're going to God saying, God, how do I handle this? What do I say here? God, when do I zip my tongue? God, what do I say to encourage this person? God, how do I lead this person to Jesus? God, what do I say to build up this person in their faith? God, what question do I ask? God, show me wisdom at the job, at home, in the community, at church. Show me with wisdom because if you don't give me wisdom, I'm just going to do what I naturally do and that just messes things up a lot. So God, guide me with your wisdom. Here's a promise. God will give wisdom to anyone who asks. So if five people in this room ask God every day this week for wisdom, we're gonna have five really wise people this week. If a hundred people in this room ask God for wisdom, we're gonna start to look like a pretty wise group. If everyone starts asking God for wisdom, we're gonna be aligned with heaven. And there's gonna be peace and unity it's gonna be powerful. We'll say, well, why doesn't God just give us all the wisdom? He wants us to ask. It's a reminder we're reliant on him. You, you can't just ask when you're 10 and say, God, give me all the wisdom for all the situations of my entire life. Thank you, amen, see you in heaven. It, it, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. This is daily manna, daily wisdom. And, and with this, our counselor, David says, I will bless the Lord. Bless the Lord means I will speak highly of God. I can't think of one thing I could say about God that would be negative and true. God is patient, he is holy, he is kind, he is compassionate, he is eternal, he always was, always will be, he is our source. Like I will speak highly of God, I will bless God. I will praise and bless the Lord. It's a decision David makes and he does that whether he's in the temple or he's in the palace. He's gonna bless and thank God whether he's alone or he's with a lot of people. He, whether he's private or public, what will not stop, your praise will be on my lips at all time. I will bless the Lord at all times. I will not be quiet. I don't care what people think about me. God is worthy and I will bless him right now. When we stop blessing God, we start complaining. When we stop thanking God, we start grumbling. Idolatry always leads to complaining and grumbling. If you hear complaining and grumbling, you're just like, well, let's just track it to the idol. Let's just track it to the idol. You got some grumbling going on? Let's just track it to the idol. Where's the idol? And what did Spurgeon say? He said that grumbling and complaining is like a slime that will poison all the flowers in the garden. He's meddling. He's not alive anymore, but Spurgeon's still meddling. Grumbling and complaining is like a slime that will poison all the flowers in the garden. Grumbling is slimy. We don't want it. What are we? Travelers going through this land. Life is short. 
We need a guide. God is our guide. We need a playbook, the Bible. God's provided it. We need personal guidance. The Holy Spirit will lead and guide us. We need this path, God's word. It brings a light into our path. We know this, our hope and the key is God's consistent, wise, and compassionate leadership. That's the hope for our church. That's the hope for our families. That's the hope for our lives. God's consistent, kind, wise, compassionate leadership. And because we can rely on God's word, because we can rely on God's character, we have allegiance to God. We trust God. We have confidence in God. We have a great reassurance in our God who will counsel us. Go to God. This trusting includes commitment. Commit your ways to the Lord. Commitment. Uh, one Bible commentary said, great generals, they fight the battle in their minds and hearts before the trumpet sounds. Back in the day, the trumpet would sound when a battle started. But the great generals, they've already fought the battle in their mind and hearts before that first trumpet sounds. You think about martyrs throughout scripture and you think about many martyrs today around the world. The martyrs have already resolved, I will bless the Lord before they see the sword. They've already determined, I will praise the Lord before they see that sword come and end their lives. They often have less possessions than we do. They often have more trials than we do. But they've decided in their hearts, sincerely, that they're going to commit their ways to God and that he's trustworthy. They know it is an honor to serve God. It's not just like some duty. No, God allows us to serve him. God allows us to represent him. God allows us to be his ambassadors in Auburn. God allows us to use our time and talent and treasures for his glory. God allows it. Who is this God that's so gracious that would invite us in to bring him glory and represent him here on earth? Oh, may we do it well. God's done so much for us. May we do it well to bring him glory in our lives. Jesus wins the battle on the knees in Gethsemane before he gains the victory on the cross. It's on the knees. Commitment to the Father's plan. Because of God's love, we are not shaken. We commit ourselves to him. Now, shaken, yes, we're all human. We're gonna experience some initial fears, right? When we look at the bank account and it's lower than what we thought and the bills are coming in bigger, right? We might get a little rattled. When there's conflict in the family, we might feel a little rattled. When the job isn't going well, we might feel a little initially rattled. Like, I'm not saying we're so spiritual, we never even feel it. No, we all feel that initial fear. We all feel that initial rattle. But David says, I will not be shaken, meaning I'm not going to stay and go down that road. I might feel it initially, but I'm not going to be shaken. If there's a recession, I'm not going to be shaken. If there's a war that breaks out, I won't be shaken. If Christians start getting killed, I won't be shaken. If there's critics on God's word, I won't be shaken because I know who I know and I'm secure in the Lord and I won't be shaken going forward. I will trust the Lord. He's our refuge. I will trust the Lord. He's our provider. I will trust the Lord. He's our counselor. And I will trust the Lord. He's our comforter. He brings hope and contentment when the situation looks bleak. In verse nine, David shares, therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will also rest secure because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. Newsweek reported and uh, shared this story that America's lost its optimism. 
Newsweek says 42% of the respondents said they feel more pessimistic about the future of the United States than they did in 2019. So this is three years, you know, some people think, oh, COVID's not so prevalent, like we're, everything's going great. And actually they found that people are more pessimistic right now about the future of our country. What else? 36, the majority of respondents felt that their overall life was in a worse state now than it was a couple years ago. And then also 42%, the majority of U.S. citizens feel less sociable than they did three years ago. Boston University reports that depression has greatly increased. There was an isolation lockdown that was created and has left a lasting impression on the human psyche. We're built to connect with each other. We need each other. So there's new negative thought pattern loops where fears are heightened. We trust people less. We're more isolated. There's less social interaction. Things have changed the last couple years. They said there's a learned helplessness. People are concluding it's beyond their control to change anything, so they don't even make any attempt to bring change, even when there's opportunities that arise. There's a loss of motivation with this pessimism. America's more divided, and it's a vicious cycle. People don't know who to trust. Trust in the news is declining, with just 42% of people saying that they trust most news. People are turning to social media. They're getting loaded with misinformation as well. There's a lot of confusion in the land. And there's more time that needs to be focused on mental health. Says we can't control a lot of things in this world, but what we can control is how we interact with it. And David is making some choices how to interact with the world he's in. And we're making choices. David is choosing to remember the goodness of God. David knows as he ends this psalm that the best is yet to come and he looks forward to it. He's gonna reject a narrative of hopelessness and he's gonna receive and put his hope in God. He is gonna live in a vibrant way even though a lot of people are going away from God and he's looking forward and this is the messianic part. These two verses, nine and 10, describe the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The certainty of death and the greater reality of this resurrection. This is a scripture that'll be quoted in the New Testament. Look at what Peter says. When you think about Acts and Pentecost, and this is what Peter proclaimed. Fellow Israelites, in Acts chapter two, after he quotes Psalm 16, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died, and he could even point right over to David's um, tomb over there, and was buried. His tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. The Messiah would come in the line of David. Now, verse 31, seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. The resurrection is the game changer. The resurrection is the source of hope. Peter was someone who denied Jesus. Publicly, he wanted to stay quiet about Jesus. But you know what happened? The resurrection's real. The Holy Spirit is in Peter's life. He brings the gospel here. 3,000 put their trust in Jesus. 
We worship a God who takes people who want to stay quiet about the Savior, who are afraid of other people, and gives them a boldness to lead a lot of people to Jesus. David in Psalm 16, Peter right here. Peter's one of the other leaders. The other one's Paul. I mean, of course, who does God pick? The one who's quiet, denying Jesus, and the other one who's killing the followers of Jesus. Those are the two leaders. Makes perfect sense. It's, it's, it's rational. Uh, Acts chapter 13 This is in Antioch. Now, when David had served God's purposes in his own generation, there's no higher calling. May we be faithful to God in our generation. He fell asleep. He was buried with his ancestors and his body decayed. But the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. They heard this. They were curious. They're like, Paul, could you come back next weekend and talk some more about this good news? Paul said, let me check my schedule. Looks like I'm free. He came back next weekend. Almost the whole town showed up. And you know what happened? They started to follow Jesus because where people have courage to share the gospel, people hear the good news and they turn to Jesus. And so many people are turning to Jesus that opposition increased, persecution increases. When you start to live for God and see God's fruit, persecution's gonna come. You get the devil's attention. You get the the darkness's attention when you start to really shine the light. Well, that increased for Paul and Barnabas. But you know what they said? We're not gonna stop bringing the word. We're not gonna stop bringing the gospel. Why? Because we believe it, we'll live it, and we'll say it. We believe it, we'll live it, and we say it. If you don't believe it, you won't live it and say it. And you say, well, that's not really my version of Christianity. I'm not really into living it and saying it. Who's your Jesus? What Bible are you reading? We believe it, we live it, we say it, we trust God with the results. We're just here to glorify God for a short time before our resurrection. Jesus is raised from the dead. We will be raised from the dead. And this earth will be raised up. This is not the earth for eternity. It'll be raised up. This is the resurrection. And David says in verse 11, you have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Say, where's joy in the summer of 2023? Joy is still in his presence. Joy will always be in his presence. Don't just chase joy. What can I eat for joy? What can I drink for joy? How can I get more money for joy? No, no, no. Go to God's presence and you're gonna experience his joy with eternal pleasures in your right hand. God might remove the challenge. You might remain in the challenge. But what you know is the resurrection. And the resurrection makes the difference. This is describing the ascension of Jesus. And what David can say with confidence, I have a destiny. I have a home. I have a promise. Jesus is the resurrection. More of his presence is coming. We see some things now. We know some things now. But more of the presence of Jesus is coming. To live is Christ. To die is gain, says Paul. And ultimately, I know where I want to be. I know where my true treasure is. And I know I will spend eternity right there in his presence with the fullness of joy. My cup overflows because of the resurrection. Let's take a minute just to meditate on those truths. God is our refuge. He's the one we run to. God is our provider. He's the one we rely on. 
God is our counselor. We need his wisdom. God is our comforter and brings a comfort greater than our challenges. Start to say that this week. God, I bless you. God, I trust you. God, you are my refuge. You are my comforter, my counselor, my provider. Don't just describe problems all week. Well, I don't like this. This went wrong. You know, these people did this again. They always do that. Now we got to deal with this. Yes, there's some reality there, but start in your home and in your heart to meditate on God's word, to start to say out loud, God, I bless you. God, I trust you. God, you've been so good to our church for over 70 years. You've given us so much. We want to be faithful to you. God, you've given us so much individually. We're alive today. We're still breathing today. Family, friends, all the freedoms we have in this country. Your patience with us, God, spiritually. Your mercy. God, we seek you. We don't want lesser things. Our eyes are on you. Say, show us your glory, God. Show us your glory. Show us your glory, God. Show us your glory.